podcast brought to you by the Kitchen Table Cafe in Calicoon, New York. Stop in and see Mark, Leanne, and staff and see what fresh in-house baked goods they're cooking up. I'm Managing Editor Joe Abraham, and here are some of this week's top stories. Two residents from Foxcroft Village in Loch Sheldrake had a $2 million defamation lawsuit against them dismissed by Sullivan County Supreme Court Justice Kevin R. Bryant. Chris Watkins, attorney for the two Foxcroft Village residents, said Bryant's decision gives life to New York's recently amended anti-strategic lawsuits against public participation law. In November 2021, Jenny Pesch and Jacqueline Murphy were served with a defamation lawsuit from Foxcroft Village after making several social media posts describing unsafe conditions at the complex. Watkins told the Democrat that they had to live with leaking sewage systems and unreliable water service, living conditions that are reminiscent of an underdeveloped country. The Anti-Strategic Lawsuits Against Public Participation, also known as the Anti-SLAPP Law, helps defendants navigate a path to dismiss, quote, meritless lawsuits and has recently been amended to protect, quote, persons' exercise of speech, press, assembly, petition, and association's rights on a matter of public concern. Foxcroft has a reported problematic history with freezing pipes in the winter to claims of undrinkable water within the complex. Sean Walcarty, deputy supervisor for the town of Fallsburg, told the Democrat during a resource day, an event held in March 2022 for residents to seek income-based home repair assistance, that the town was, has reopened dialogue with Foxcroft to help resolve some of the ongoing issues that residents have publicly addressed at several town board meetings. Foxcroft said social media posts made by Pesh and Murphy were false and were a, quote, reckless disregard for the truth and that the, quote, reputation as a manufactured home park community has been damaged, according to the lawsuit. Watkins submitted evidence to the court that showed a long history of infrastructure problems at the complex and a discontinued lawsuit by the New York State Attorney General on water issues at the manufacturer's home village. Furthermore, Watkins submitted the Securities and Exchange Commission's conviction of George Levin, one of the complex's owners, on a multi-million dollar Ponzi scheme in Florida dating back to 2017. Watkins said, quote, Judge Bryan's decision gives life to New York's recently amended anti-slap law and tells the George Levins of the world that the courts are no longer going to tolerate their frivolous lawsuits intended to bully critics into silence. Justice Bryant said in his decision that Foxcroft did not provide enough evidence to prove their defamation and the defendants were expressing their frustration on the ongoing issues which represent a public concern and is now protected by the anti-slap law. Marvin Newberg, attorney for Foxcroft, said they are planning to appeal the decision. The appellate court will respect their rights to sue somebody who accuses them of a felony crime. Foxcroft feels that the judge's decision was too expansive in interpreting that statute, Newberg told the Democrat. Newberg said he agrees that the residents from Foxcroft can express their free speech. However, quote, accusing someone of committing a felony of bribery is way beyond fair public comment, especially when there's no truth to it. Foxcroft claimed the defendant stated on social media that the owners of Foxcroft bribed local and state officials to turn a blind eye to the growing and reported concerns there. However, Justice Bryant said the social media posts were taken out of context and they, quote, did not amount to an accusation of bribery. Watkins said, quote, I look forward to litigating my clients' counterclaims against Levin's company at trial.
In other news, Arnold Skolnick, the graphic artist and designer of the iconic Woodstock Music Festival poster that attracted nearly half a million people to Max Yasker's farm in the summer of 1969, passed away on June 15th at a hospice in Amherst, Massachusetts at the age of 85. Skolnick, born in 1937, passed away due to vascular dementia and a heart condition that led to acute respiratory failure. Looking back at his last-minute contribution to the historic event, Bethel Woods Center for the Arts remembers the artist who created the lasting symbol that persists in recognizing the ground zero of peace and love. Senior museum curator Dr. Neil Hitch said, quote, We, Bethel Woods Center for the Arts, are greatly saddened by the news of the passing of Arnold Skolnick. His vision and creativity has left an indelible mark on history and continues to influence people today. His work is so widespread because it supersedes design and represents an ideal. Very few artists have managed to capture the essence of a movement on one sheet of paper better than Arnold Skolnick. Bethel Ward Center for the Art was built on the grounds of the original 1969 Woodstock Music Festival, which ran from August 15th to August 17th. Since its breaking ground in 2004, the venue museum, Bethel Woods, have welcomed many artists, guests, and events that keep the spirit that Skolnick illustrated in his poster vibrant and alive. Earlier this year, the museum at Bethel Woods reopened and introduced a brand new special exhibit called An Art Fair, Art and Design at Woodstock, which focuses on a collection of various visual art and original Woodstock artifacts. Among those that hang on the walls is the famous red poster designed by Skolnick. This collection also includes a poster that was created by another individual which was rejected by Woodstock organizers due to its featuring of a nude woman and a lack of space for performing artist names. Woodstock organizers then turned to Skolnick, who then in the last minute effort designed the poster that immortalized the three days of peace and music in the late 1960s. I was sitting there drawing this cat bird the whole weekend, which is more interesting looking than a dove. And so when I came up with the idea, three days of peace and music, I thought, how do you produce it? Skolnick told the museum at Bethel Woods in 2011. And I was thinking about Matisse, a 20th century French visual artist, and a show that Matisse had done. I said, why don't I just cut it out, cut paper the way Matisse does, and keep thinking about this catbird? So it's actually a catbird, not a dove. And I cut the whole thing up, taped it. Monday morning, brought it into the Woodstock people. It was the first job I ever did with no changes. And so I put it together and sort of the rest is history. The image of the white cat bird is resting on a guitar that can be found at Bethel Woods Center for the Arts grounds and around the surrounding area, proving its iconic symbolism remains relevant even after all the years, concerts, and events that continue to happen there. Skolnick's marriages to Iris J. and Cynthia Meyer ended in divorce. However, he is survived by his two sons, Alex and Peter, and two grandchildren and a sister. The identity of this place, Bethel Woods, has so much to do visually because of Arnold's poster design that they decided to keep said original 1969 Woodstock Festival attendee and Bethel Woods volunteer Glenn Waddell. That has just been an invaluable contribution to the success of what we now call Bethel Woods Center for the Arts and all that it represents. Shifting over to the town of Liberty, the reposed warehouse on Old Route 17 in Ferndale was once again a topic of discussion at Tuesday's Town of Liberty Planning Board meeting, at which time the board declared themselves lead agency of the project. As previously reported in the Democrat, applicant Samuel Eisenberg of BSD LLC seeks a special use permit to construct a warehouse of up to 1 million square feet at 468 Harris Road. A public hearing was held last month on the proposed project. 
Jim Bates of Ecological Analysis and Joe Berger of Berger Engineering and Surveying were present on behalf of the applicant. Bates and Berger showed views of the warehouse from neighboring properties slash areas and answered questions from the board regarding those displays as well as the 239 review of the project by the county's planning department. Following the discussion, Bates asked the planning board if they could pair a negative Environmental Quality Review Act, or CEQA, declaration and site plan approval, conditioned on town engineer Glenn Smith's final comments, for consideration at their August 2nd meeting, which the board agreed to do. And finally, turning our attention up to a major development in the town of Neversink, well over 60 people packed into two rooms at the Clarieville Fire Hall on Tuesday night to listen and ask questions about the proposed Cary Lands development in the town of Neversink. As reported in the Democrat on July 3rd, architectural developer and venture capitalist Jonathan Legersdorf has proposed two very different plans for his family's 3,150 acres of land located in Willowemock, east of Livingston Manor. As previously reported, one option is a private 297-lot residential development that falls within the current zoning of Rick's residential commercial mixed use. The other option is to seek an overlay district for a mixed-use, quote, conservation-based community which plans to build on less than 25% of the 3,150 acres while offering public opportunities for outdoor recreation. Developers are pursuing the overlay district option. Summit Tuesday's me informational meeting saw the proposal as potentially beneficial to Sullivan County. Yet many residents from the towns of Neversink and Denning and nearby communities who also turned out expressed serious concerns about the environmental impacts of a large-scale project and how it would affect the bucolic character of their communities. Clarieville resident Walter Grigliano is one of the attorneys representing Leadersdorf. Grigliano and Leadersdorf were joined Tuesday night by Jim Tinson, CEO of Planning Architecture and Landscape Architecture firm Howard Howerton. Grigliano explained how the trend of urban flight from metropolitan areas to the countryside that began during the COVID-19 pandemic has only continued. Grigliano said, quote, Jonathan has explained this as simply as indicating that the traditional five days in the city and two days in the country have become two days in the city and five days in the country, Grigliano said. Advancements in visual meeting platforms such as Zoom have helped make this kind of living more feasible. Grigliano said they've held meeting with local political, business, and community leaders to see how they could make Carolands both successful and beneficial to the area. He said, quote, living in Sullivan County most of my life, we don't need any more failed projects. We've had more than our fair share. Developers have said the project could attract a major hotel company increase winter recreation, and draw new workers to Sullivan County with better job opportunities. Leadersdorf spoke about his family related to the property, which goes back to when his grandfather, Moshe Mayer, bought the land in the 1960s with plans to develop a ski resort. Although the resort never materialized, Leadersdorf said the time is right to try something new. It's very personal to us, he said. I'm taking his vision and taking it forward. Well over 20 people signed up to speak and make public comments following presentations by Garigliano, Leadersdorf, and Tinson. Mark Baez, President and CEO of the Sullivan County Partnership for Economic Development, was the first to speak. He described the Cary Lands project as potentially having a similar kind of impact that Bethel Woods Center for the Arts had when it opened in 2006. I think if you look at Bethel Woods, you see how a project can be done in a way that supports people, Baez said. We think that this project can reflect what the Sullivan Catskills are all about. Sam Huber, who owns 60 acres of property on Blue Hill Road bordering the proposed Cary Lands project, said he was deeply concerned about the potential environmental impacts in terms of light pollution, water quality, and aquifer levels. It is absolutely going to fundamentally change the character of both sides of that ridge, he said. I understand all the arguments for economic development. I don't know whether they're going to happen or not. 
It's a lot of promises. Wes Gillingham, Associate Director of Catskill Mountain Keeper, said he thought parts of the proposal were disingenuous and was skeptical that plans for a 297-lot residential unit proposal would make it through the State Environmental Quality Review. I commend the town for holding information sessions in in this hearing, and I hope this continues on every detail of this. But start out by putting a conservation easement on a large part of the 75% of that property and put it in legal writing so we don't have to worry about what is happening with that other proposal. This whole region really needs to relook at their town plans and the vision for what their town looks like because we are getting inundated with new people. For editor Matt Shortall's full story on the Carrie Lands hearing, go to scdemocratonline.com or pick up our papers on newsstands across the county. That concludes today's episode of the Sullivan County Democrat Podcast, brought to you by the Kitchen Table Cafe in Calico, New York, and we'll catch up with you next week with some more headlines.